Good morning. Let's pray to ready our hearts for God's Word. Dear Jesus, we would like to see you today. So show your love, show your faithfulness, show your everlasting forgiveness to us in this message. Amen. The world is full of change. And it's a pretty dangerous thing because as you look around the world and what it means by change, it doesn't look all that great. You have political slogans, general lifestyles, advertisements, all advocating for change, but only in the way that they want you to change. You better change so that you can benefit me or my company or my platform or my agenda And some people, they even say that churches look at change that way. And you know, I think they'd be right, in a way. Because so often we become completely self-absorbed with how we look at people and how they benefit us. We use them as little pawns to accomplish our goals or to build up our own little kingdoms, whether it's here personally or here as a little church here. We use them in our lives. We fall into, the sin, into that sin. We look at people and say, how can you benefit me? See, change is a dangerous thing especially when it's done for the wrong reasons. And that's the only type of change we bring into the world by ourselves. But not all change is bad. We've experienced a lot of good change in our lives. The world as a whole has experienced a lot of good change from creation till now. And I think the best kind of change, the very best change, is one that is done without any sort of selfish ambition attached to it. And the best change is one that's introduced very carefully and very thought out before you start to bring that in. And the only person that can really truly do that, that can perfectly do that, is God. God is all about change. He's changed you. And the whole message of the Bible is all about how he accomplished that change for your benefit. God's change is extremely unique because instead of asking, how can you benefit me? He says, how can I benefit you? How can I bless you? How can I affect your life in the most positive way I know how? The whole Bible talks about that message, but for today, we're going to zero in on words from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And with these words, Paul is going to show us how God, our dearest, closest friend, carefully changes people. Now, if there is change in the world or in our lives, that assumes that there is something that someone saw that they didn't think that was the way it should be. Someone saw something that they didn't like, so they changed it. And with God, when he looks at us, he sees our sinful hearts. Our sinful hearts are something that God needs to change. 
the, close to the very beginning of time, Adam and Eve, through the devil's lies, thought, you know, God, I don't think you're benefiting me enough. And so they advocated for change. Later, the nation of Israel, no matter what God told them, it seemed that they never agreed with it. Whether it was God saying to do something or to not do something, the nation of Israel collectively went, nope, we want change. The persecutor Saul, who would later be changed to Paul, who wrote these words that we'll get to in just a little bit, before he became the apostle, he persecuted the church. He went after Christians. He tried to take charge of change by eradicating this upstart religion from the earth. And story after story after story tells about how sinful human hearts want to change what God has in store for them. But all the while, from the very beginning, from before the very beginning, God had his big change in mind. So even when Adam and Eve brought that first sinful change into the world, God already had in mind how he was going to change sin into perfection. God promised death after that first sin. Death for Adam and Eve, death for the world, but... He also promised death for an offspring. An offspring who would come and would die and would bring life into the world. And he was serious about that promise. He was serious about the change that he wanted to make from sin to to life, uh, sin to perfection, death to life. He made promise after promise and he he made sure to keep them. His love, his faithfulness never changed so that he could change us. That change finally came at the cross when Jesus came to this world to die for our sins. And that's what Paul writes about here. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. He says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Do you see how God loves change? He changed your eternal status, but not just your personal eternal status, the eternal status of the whole world. Jesus took the place of every single person on the cross. He justified them. He made it so that it was just as if the whole world had never sinned. Just as if the whole world never even knew what sin was. That's what justification means. Jesus removed all sin from the world. It's a pretty big change if you ask me. It's the greatest act of love that the world will ever know and God carefully carried it out for you, for me, for everyone. I want you to think about when you go on vacation. Maybe you've already gone on one a couple times this year. You are planning one. But think of that moment when you finally sit down in the plane or you finally close the trunk after hours of agonizing packing and planning. You finally hit the road and you're on your way to the destination. The trip feels a little different at that point. Because you know what your destination is and the destination changes how the journey feels, how the trip feels. So our eternal destination is changed. 
our destination is changed from hell and eternal punishment because of our sin, because of our trying to change God's plans, it's changed from that to heaven. And so now in our lives, we live our lives quite a bit differently than we would otherwise. Instead of being self-absorbed and uh, concerned about change that only benefits us, me, myself, and I, we stop living for ourselves and we start living for Jesus. We look to places we would have never looked before. You live for him who died for you and was raised again. It's kind of neat because the same word is used for the word for in these verses. Jesus died for all and then we live for him. It's a word that means on behalf of. Jesus acted on your behalf and in return you get to act on behalf of him in love. Let that love, let that change take root in your heart and show in your life. But what does it look like to see that change? What does it look like in our lives? Well, the Apostle Paul talks about that. Verse 16 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. The change not only takes place in your heart, it it affects your outlook. You see, when, when God looks at us, some people think that God just moves us around as insignificant little pawns to achieve his goal and that's all. He doesn't care about our eternity. He doesn't care about us as individuals with, with souls and with feelings on this planet. But think about this. If God did not care about you in that way, do you think he would have sent Jesus to save you? Friends, you are dearly loved by God. God cares deeply about your eternity. He cares deeply about your soul. So much so that he sent Jesus to pay for your soul with his own blood. And now Paul urges us to look at people the same way, not from a worldly point of view, but from a heavenly point of view. Take away the the lifestyle that they have. Take away the label that society has given them. Look away from the things that they've done. Look away from the things that you think they might do and look at them with the eyes of Jesus because that is the only way you're going to be able to see that soul that God loves so much. It's not very easy. It's not easy to see a soul because we have sinful filters. We have sinful clouds over those eyes. I read articles, I drive down the road, I see people, I see headlines, and I go, boy, those people sure aren't loved. God doesn't want them in heaven. I even do it as I walk up to people's houses to tell them about Jesus. Look at their car. I look at the condition of their house. I look at their lawn and I go, kind of hope they don't answer the door. They're not going to fit in with us anyways. Do you realize how crazy and how selfish that is? Maybe you look at someone who has a tattooed arm and you go, yikes, not going to talk to that person. Maybe they have a turban on their head. 
whatever it is, that's a worldly point of view. Friends, pray that Jesus gives you his eyes so that you can look past those things, look past those lifestyles and those labels and those things that scare you. See that soul. That soul that Jesus wants to change and bring to heaven with him. Change is a good thing when it's done correctly. Jesus changed us for all the right reasons. Jesus changed us changed us perfectly. This last week I took my car into the shop for an oil change. It's a pretty good change. It affects a lot of things positively. The car itself, the environment, the people around, the ozone layer, all those things. Regular checkups help the car run as smoothly as possible. But did you know that there are people who aren't aware you need to change the oil on a car? Or they know that something's wrong with the car. They're just not sure how to figure it out, how to find it. Or there are people who just push a car's maintenance off as far as they can because it's not important. They don't want to do it. It's too much work. And you know what? People treat their souls the same way. People don't know that they need a change. Or they don't want one. Or they see it as something completely insignificant. That's good for you, but not good for me. Or maybe they're searching for a change and they just don't know, they can't put their finger on how to find it, how to figure it out, and how to change their life because it's not going in a direction they want it to. No matter what the case is, those people are all, those people are all souls. They're souls loved by God. They, may not, they might not know that, but God wants to change that. God wants to show just how much he loves them, just how much he loves them. He wants to be their best and kindest friend. Before Jesus went to the cross to die for the whole world, he really lived this out perfectly. And I love the story of John 4 for that reason, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well talking with Jesus. This woman was adulterous. She slept with just about anyone she pleased from what we can gather. She had that label on her from the whole town that she was in. But Jesus looked past that label, looked past that lifestyle, looked past her sin and saw the soul that was in deep, deep distress. The woman knew she needed a change. She just didn't really know how to, how to get there, how to, how to get out of her rut that she was in. She needed Jesus because she was incapable of changing herself. So Jesus came to her. He introduced himself and he introduced his love into her life. He changed her. He's changed you and me in exactly the same way. Without Jesus, we would be stuck in a sinful rut our whole life destined for nothing but hell. But Jesus introduced himself to us. He has come into our lives and changed our hearts. So now we're a new creation, us and the Samaritan woman alike. That new creation Paul writes about, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
The old is gone. The new is here. Now we know from living our lives, sin is still a big part of our lives. We still feel like we're stuck in ruts sometimes, but that doesn't change the fact that Jesus has changed your heart. Jesus has changed your eternal status with him. In a little while, we'll hear about how Jesus does not count your sins against you. That's such a wonderful thing to remember. When you hear about that kind of good news, it changes you with God and it changes you with other people. The Samaritan woman, if you know the story, she didn't just sit there and chat with Jesus the rest of the day. She actually ran into town screaming, I found him! I found the Messiah! I have found salvation! The woman who had slinked out quietly in the middle of the day to draw water so that no one would see her was very different from the woman who, go, who went running into town proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming salvation to the whole town. And they listened. Their life was changed by the testimony, by the message of that woman. That's another reason why I love John 4. Because it does, it shows us exactly how to do what Paul is encouraging us to do here with these next verses. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Think of the best news you've heard in the past year. Maybe you're a Spurs fan, so the best news you've heard lately is that they won a while ago. I get it, I'm in Texas. Maybe someone you know, someone very close to you is having a baby. Maybe someone close to you just got engaged or married or found out some amazing news in their life. And when you hear that great news, what's the first thing you want to do? Post it on Facebook. You call your best friend. You you tell as many people as you can about it because you want them to share in the good news that you've heard. And as great as all of that is, it really just pales in comparison to the news that we have before us today, the news that Jesus gave the Samaritan woman, the news that Christ died for all and therefore all died, but all live in Jesus. That's the message of reconciliation, the message of God's salvation. God didn't just give us that news for it to sit here, to stay here. He wants it to go to the whole world. He's given it to you as a sacred trust. That's why Paul calls it the ministry of reconciliation. A ministry, you do something with a ministry. You tell people about it. But it's not just a a prophet thing. It's not just a Paul thing. It's not a vicar thing. It's not a staff minister or pastor thing. It's a Christian thing. How much training did the Samaritan woman have before she went to tell everyone about Jesus? Three seconds, maybe? 
You don't need any special training to go and tell people what you know about Jesus, to tell people about the change that has taken place in your life. Paul isn't writing to people who are training for years and years and years. They're included, but it's not just them. It's you. It's every single one of you to go and be Christ's ambassador. Speak on Christ's behalf, not because you have to, but because you so strongly believe that God has died for you and that God has died for every single person in this world. And I know the things that are going on in your head. And Paul seems to know what's going on in our heads too because as soon as we go, well, wait a minute, I'm not worthy to do that. I'm too sinful. I'm not good enough at talking. Paul says, well, he hasn't counted your sins against you. God has not counted your sins against you. He doesn't keep track of flagrant fouls or errors or technicals or or turnovers. He doesn't fine or suspend you for any of your sins. He's already forgiven you for everything. Your track record is clean. Your guilt is washed away. The joy of forgiveness is yours forever. So go, share that with people, with everyone you meet. Because God wants to be their closest, their dearest, their best friend. He wants to befriend that Muslim down the street. He wants to befriend that Chinese orphan across the globe. He wants to befriend that power-hungry dictator in whatever country it is across the world. He wants to befriend every single person in this world. It's pretty urgent. Because <laughs> that means a lot of people haven't heard this news yet. And if it's not urgent for you, I'll, I'll put it this way. Think of if your husband or your wife or someone very, very close to you didn't know about this message. And they get news that they're, they are going to die tomorrow. No questions asked. How much time would it take you to phone them or to text them or to go and visit them and say, Jesus loves you and he died for you and he wants you in heaven with him? Probably not very long. And maybe some of you have lived this out already. It probably doesn't take very long for any of us to think of someone in our lives who needs this message. Friends, I implore you along with the Apostle Paul to live, speak, and breathe out everything that God has given to you. Let the new creation that is inside of you, the the one that desires godly things and that looks at people through Jesus' eyes, let that new creation be the one that people remember and the one that people come to know Jesus by. This message is, it's, it's just simply amazing. It's so amazing that it's worth repeating over and over and over again. We talk about it so much because we need to be reminded of it. And Paul reminds us one more time of the amazing nature of this change that God has made with verse 21 as he closes out this section. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
God knew that you would never be able to work enough to become righteous in his sight. So he sent Jesus to do all the work for you. And then he awarded you with employee of the month every single month of your life. You didn't do anything. What do you deserve it for? Well, you don't. But Jesus won it for you. He knew, God knew that you would never win any battle against sin in your life on your own. So he sent Jesus to triumph over sin, death, and the grave, and the devil. And then he gave you the MVP award for life. You kept turning the ball over. You hit foul ball after foul ball. You struck out. But Jesus, his perfection is yours. That's the beauty of this change. That's the, that's the wonderful nature of this change. God's changeless love has changed you forever. Change is a strange thing. There's a story about a nine-year-old boy who changed a lot throughout his life. When he was nine, uh, this is an Irish boy, he lost his mother to cancer. And very shortly after, his father shipped him and his brother off to boarding school, and basically, they lived the rest of their lives on their own. As this boy grew up, uh, he was pushed away from God, and he wanted nothing to do with faith or spirituality or the Bible or anything to do with God because these changes that sin brought into his life, they hurt him too deeply. The boy grew up and he served in World War I and after that he went to Oxford and all the while he was reading book after book after book looking for a change in his life. And all the while as he would write later, he felt this, this strange pull, this strange call for change and he couldn't really put a finger on where it was coming from or what it exactly was. But then on a night in the year 1929, As he would later write, he says, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps on that night I was the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. But who can duly adore that love which will open the high gates of heaven to a prodigal who is brought in kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape. Based off of that, I would venture that not many people know who I'm talking about. But, how many people have heard of the Chronicles of Narnia? Read, seen it, at least heard of it? Then you know who C.S. Lewis is. And you've been affected by this man, the change that happened in this man's life. The sinful heart of C.S. Lewis wanted to push away God for a good portion of his life, but God would not let him go. God introduced that change into his life at exactly the right time. C.S. Lewis understood how big this change was for him. So much so that he wrote and spoke and taught about it Until the end of his life, C.S. Lewis influenced millions of people by his testimony, by being an ambassador for Christ. 
Paul encourages us to do the same, to influence people by our lives, by our words, by our actions, by everything we do. Paul, the Apostle Paul, struggled as he wrote these words. C.S. Lewis struggled as he lived throughout the rest of his life, and we struggle with sin throughout the rest of our lives. I know I do. That doesn't change the fact that Jesus has changed you. Jesus has changed your heart. He's changed your life. He's changed your outlook. So you don't have to worry about changing a thing. He's taken care of it all for you. So now let Jesus lead your new creation to live for him, to tell others about him. Be Christ's ambassador and tell others about him, not for your benefit, not for your glory, but for their benefit and to God's glory. Amen.